This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast today is Cindy Gordon, co-founder and CEO of SalesChoice. What drives me day to day is probably just, uh, you know, ensuring that what is possible is real and giving people the confidence that they can actually mobilize the change. It's all about building the confidence to just simply be, enjoy and make it happen. You know, too often we get paralyzed. And I think with the speed that has accelerated in businesses worldwide, you know, people need to make more choices about where they're spending their time and what they're working on. The roots of the company are very much focused on a specific problem. And the problem is that 30 to 60% of sales professionals don't make their sales plan targets or quotas in the B2B market segment. The speed acceleration or in the age of distraction dynamics, B2B sales professionals have one of the hardest jobs in the world because of the noise factor. So that's the backdrop. And we thought there the thesis was could AI, you know, with predictive analytics and other AI methods absorb all of the historical dynamics of a firm and actually guide them. This is Cindy. Cindy is an expert in SaaS, AI, business innovation, early stage software commercialization, and sales and marketing practices. She's held senior leadership and partnerships roles in global B2B enterprises, including Accenture, Xerox, Citicorp, and Nortel Networks. In addition, Cindy has also been a founder, a venture capitalist, and an angel in emerging software companies. She is recognized for her innovation and thought leadership and has written over 13 books and won numerous awards. Cindy's passion is the constant pursuit of sustainable innovation and the creation of differentiated experiences to make our world an incredible place. That's what triggered me, hence I invited her to my podcast. We explore the large-scale challenges sales professionals have in making their targets, the fact that 30% of sales professionals suffer from attention deficit disorder, and that attention span has dropped 50% over the last 10 years, are likely making this worse than better. AI is coming to the rescue here, and it's interesting to see how Cindy defines it. AI is not a new energy, it's the new oxygen. We simply have to breathe it in order to be able to do things we've never held possible before. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, 
Why is it key to always look for audit trails once you add AI to your solution? Someone needs to be accountable for the predictions. And if you can't stand in for that, the legal issues can be pretty significant. Secondly, that the new way to deliver your solution is not to give your users individual insights, but rather universal intelligence about all the moves. This will enable them to add even more value. Thirdly, that one of your responsibilities and opportunities as a vendor is to ensure that the data keeps improving, that the bias isn't there, and that your predictions are transparent. So Cindy, thank you very much for joining this, uh, this podcast and to, uh, to make your time available to share the big idea behind your company. But before we start, can you give the, the audience a little bit of an idea about who you are as a person and, and what drives you in day-to-day business? Uh, well, thanks, Tone. And uh, for those of you listening in, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure. What drives me day-to-day is probably just uh, you know, ensuring that what is possible is real and giving people the confidence that they can actually mobilize the change. You know, too often we have ideas, but the execution is not there. So I think everything I've done in my life, I've set a goal and achieved it. Former partner Accenture, former leader, executive at Xerox, Citibank, and well-published 13 books, another one in the market. And I think it's all about building the confidence to just simply be, enjoy, and make it happen. You know, too often we get paralyzed. And I think with the speed that has accelerated in businesses worldwide, you know, people need to make more choices about where they're spending their time and what they're working on and seeing the results uh, and that realization. So it's an interesting, you know, time, especially given your mission and vision on how to achieve you know, the remarkable. And, but, you know, you can find me on Google pretty easily by just typing in Dr. Cindy Gordon. Okay. This is a pretty, pretty cool drive that you have. And I completely agree with it. What is possible and make that real and make it happen. So, I mean, talking about choice, the company is called Sales Choice. Well, what is the company all about? What is the big idea behind your company? Well, we, the roots of the company are very much focused on a specific problem. And the problem is that 30 to 60% of sales professionals don't make their sales plan targets or quotas in the B2B market segment. Exasperating that point is, is that about 30% of the sales population also suffer from attention deficit disorder. And if that's not enough, in the last 10 years, the human attention span has dropped by 50% since the advent of mobile technology. And so what's happened is is that the speed acceleration or in the age of distraction dynamics, B2B sales professionals have one of the hardest jobs in the world because of the noise factor. So that's the backdrop. And we thought the thesis was, could AI you know, with predictive analytics and other AI methods, absorb all the historical dynamics of a firm and actually guide them. So we're in a space that says guided sales insights in real time. And we've been pioneering in this space for about five plus years now. So our product is well out of beta. It's in the market and some are key brands. And we are continuing to reflect. We decided to make this very much transparent AI. Mm-hmm. I'd be glad to talk to you more about that. But that's, that's the backdrop. Very concerned about B2B sales productivity. 
And also, could we create a use case instead of experiences that effectively people can trust and understand and also not be fearful of, you know, the, if you want to call it the new car rails that I'm running on. I often like to say that AI is, is not the new electricity, it's simply the new oxygen and, and we need to breathe it in and, and, and trust. It's, it's a really interesting, I'd say, new element I can imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, I can imagine you're talking to the converters on my side, but that's exactly the reason why I, I started the podcast in the first place. And I can clearly see that what you're doing with, with sales choice is augmenting uh, sales professionals rather than automating them out of a job. So, so do you, how, what is your view around the combination of AI and people versus AI just alone? Okay, I've got a, some really strong views. That's a, that's a very thought provocative question. I think first, and you probably have already learned this in your own practice, is, is that AI is an enabler, and you first need to really understand what problem are you trying to solve, and AI is one capability that could be applied, and there's so many different forms of AI approaches and methods that you really got to get crisp and clear about what you're trying to do and why, and define that extremely crisply. So, you know, that I think is the most important thing that I've learned. And, and when it gets into the AI and people component, you're right. I'm not on the side of, you know, there's no question AI can eliminate mundane, routine, tedious job tasks. And it will severely have an impact in, you know, we already, already has with manufacturing and robotics. And that will continue. But that does not mean that there won't be incredibly new jobs. True. Because the reality is robots need mechanics to fix, you know, train, uh, you know, re, you know, work code, make sure the infrastructure is working. So as there's job loss, you know, I think the nice thing is that we'll move into roles that actually are probably more satisfying for humans, where there's more human discourse, more dialogue, less monotonous. And so I think that part is very much there. I think also with AI and humans, the one thing that I think Europe's doing a fabulous job on is basically setting in some really strong privacy and regular control, particularly the UK, I'm, I'm more familiar with it, I know, maybe I'm all of the other countries. But, you know, the reality is, you know, we are going to always look for audit trails because somebody has to be accountable for the predictions. And if you can't understand it, the legal issues will be pretty significant. Because I don't think lawyers are going to go away anytime soon, although AI can certainly do research on precedents faster <laughs> and maybe bring you up the best arguments. You might win the case. But that's also just... Uh, you know, helping you win. That's not a bad thing, right? You're, so, yeah, so, you know, I think it's all in going to, I think humans are going to have to put the checks and balances in and, you know, everybody's going to have a role in it. It's not just going to be the technologists, the auditors, the regulators. I think part of it is ensuring that we don't slow down sort of that open data democratization um, vision and so that there does need to be that, I think, prudent sense, sense making uh, back and forth, because the last thing you want to do is to, you know, slow down things so much that you can't emerge to learn from, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, what made you choose the sales profession? I mean, what sparked the idea to start a company in the first place? What was the aha moment? 
Oh, I, I don't think it was an aha moment. I think it was a journey, you know, okay. because when I was in sales at Xerox some years ago and was pretty well steeped in, you know, at that time, Six Sigma thinking and total quality and process improvement, very fact-based orientation, driving premises, we kept seeing that the middle tier sales professionals, you know, weren't making their targets. And yet I knew in my gut, so I had a gut feeling, something's wrong and the sense that the people you you hire bright people they're capable they all have similar academic qualifications so what distinguishes one that can make their plan and another the one that doesn't yeah and i'd look at my team and at the beginning of the year if you asked me to bet on these two horses i might not have predicted the horses that came out the other end so i kept sensing and it's kind of been seeded for a long time so i remember edward deming had one very famous phrase, which was, when you see something broken, don't assume that it's the people. Mm -hmm. There's something in the process or something you can't see that might be hurting your discovery. And so I think what I've learned with AI is that AI can be incredibly accurate in terms of absorbing you want to call it the memory walls and activities of an organization and the processes, especially if there's good data, right? Because AI is only good as the quality and the completeness of it. But we've done enough research and experimentation now on some of the largest data sets in the world to, you know, mid more mid-market companies. Our software is not a, you know, small, small business play. You know, volume is important. But in those mid-market companies, we actually today, for our first time, true story, hit 99% predictive accuracy on the overall sales cycles that a company would actually win. But we've been installed in that company for now two and a half years. So what I've learned is over time, these AI agents they get smarter and smarter and smarter and they keep course correcting they just keep self-learning and you know you just cannot compete as one human so now we can give salespeople the universal intelligence of all the moves like the chess moves yeah and get to win so you know you just plug in in five minutes and every priority that you should be working on is prioritized scientifically the issue that we have is humans just being willing to trust AI sales enablement as much as they trust maybe Uber or Waze or, you know, mm-hmm. or Lyft, that I'll get to the right destination rather than second guessing. Yeah. So that part here, you know, we haven't solved for sure. But, you know, that's was kind of the germinations of how sales choice was just those root concerns about salespeople and having this, you know, kind of gut instinct. And then meeting when I was a venture capitalist, I, that's where I met our chief data scientist, Dr. Yannick Lallemont, actually from Europe, France, actually. And, you know, and then we kind of lost touch. And then I, we were just having a summer drink on a patio one day. And I said, hey, could you think AI could solve this business use case problem? Hmm. And he said, well, get me a bunch of data. <laughs> I'll let yeah, you know. Yeah. True. <laughs> so that was the hard part was really, you know, you know, getting people to release data, even though it was masked, 
to yeah. you. You could do some research on it. But uh, yeah, so that that's, you know, it, it's kind of been germinating, I think, for mm-hmm. quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it, and it is a pretty, well, it's a pretty simple calculation to make, you know, if, if the, the statistic is that 30 to 60% of sales don't make their quota, meaning that if they make their quota, you can deal with a lot, lot less people. But the, the more important thing is for a lot of companies, because it's top line, you know, keep them there and just get more. <laughs> well, that's it. Um, that's, you get it. It's all about top line revenue growth. In exactly. On innovation and growth. So I think you and I could have some interesting discussions here. You know, what's holding us back is really just the hum the I would say moving chief revenue officers and also educating CEOs in particular and boards to understand these guidance systems and what they're doing and sort of that cumulative collective knowledge. And what we have to also be sensitive to is to make sure that the data is good and the bias isn't there and also the transparency of the AI. And, and that's what our product has done. I, I believe out of our competitive groups that we have, we are the only one to my knowledge in our AI guided spelling, our AI guided, that actually shows you exactly what the roots were yeah. in language that salespeople can understand. And so it's been pretty clever, but through a lot of design experiences, right? Because I just see the future laws coming down. They're not here yet. But I think, you know, black box AI will will get, you know, challenged pretty heavily here. Yeah. I mean, I had the same discussion with uh, Robert Grosset from MindBridge. And he, he, of course, they're looking at a different market and it's about financial auditing. Yes. And he was talking about exactly the same challenge because everything needs to be transparent because at the end, it's going to be the person that's making the decision. And they can can actually be, be pulled into court for making the decision and having to defend it. So very good that it's not a black box. And I think it also helps with the adoption of it and the skepticism that you get from the market. Yeah, that's a very um, astute observation, Tone. The what I, I I've been, you know, it's it's these kinds of things are almost like a tumbleweed where you move, you advance, you display display what's happening. The other thing I've learned is the user interface experiences. You need multiple modalities to say the same thing, right? So, you know, obviously, you know, saying to move on an account, it's not enough just to say. This is the, our confidence prediction, which was yes. kind of, a, I would say, our first use case. That was okay. But when we added the distribution constructs of A, B, C, D, F, people humanly understand an F is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. A is a good thing. But when we got into the, if you want to call it the, it could go either way, the modality distribution, we then had to add a third layer which gives gives you the clarity of the, uh, if you take a price point as an example, one to a hundred, where I am in that schematic and where's the variance or what's the threshold. When we gave those frameworks, that gave immediately context of how far out or how close you were in those parameters, but then also showing the, the sort of the fifth level of saying, what is the significance, right, of that particular attribution yeah. in the prediction? And, you know, so... You know, and, and it's a real simple thing, a green big check mark, you know, because some people, they're very visual and, and salespeople aren't always the most analytical people. And I think that's one of the areas that, you know, in order to survive and be staying relevant as a sales professional, we've got to balance the, the science as much as we've mastered the art and the relationship. So I think the, the new generation of chief revenue officers, I do think in the future will be quite different than yep. the ones we have today. I think 
we've already seen the shift with CFOs to have, you know, they're starting to have more jurisdiction around uh, the forecasting and all the analytical tools. We're starting to see that movement. Uh, Pricewaterhouse Europe actually released a report on that, I think about six months ago. And, And I think the CEO skills, you know, where they've been strong on the financial side by and large or marketing or maybe less marketing, although it's becoming more prevalent with digital convergence. But on the sales side, they've often, you know, kind of risen through those two angles, right? General manage sales, general management, P&L, and then having some finance, good balance to kind of rise to the top. But I do think that the future CEOs will definitely be much more knowledgeable about data science. And I do think AI, I think that I don't think there's a company that you can go into where you can't see either an extensibility or a new partnering, or even an internal tool to get on with it, right? So, and what I continue to see is not enough organizations have a strategy and a plan around that. And uh, yeah, so I'm sure you're seeing some of the same things in a year, but I think it's an exciting time. I mean, I've never seen a tsunami this big before, and I've been in a lot of them, but not this big. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a lot of education to do. And like I said, the reason why I started this podcast was to have an answer to the negative hype around AI in the market that is going to take our jobs. Because that's just, it's such a small part of what is possible. When AI is going to be used to to make us better, that's where the real potential is. So glad that that you're doing this. This is a perfect story here. So I'm talking about your product and it, from from the website I see it's, uh, your tagline is predict, prioritize, pace. And another other aspect I see is that it's both predictive and prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So it's actually becoming a coach, I think, to salespeople, right? Yeah, you're definitely a product evangelist. You, you hit it, right? It's, uh, you know, we give the predictions, but then we built out the prescriptive analytics layer, which is really yep. the transparent AI layer, which shows you what are the win factors, what's the stratification. We've, you know, added histograms across each point you know, simple markations of are you in the right zone or not, red. Probably the biggest thing we've done that I think is kind of exciting, which we kind of stumbled upon, although, you know, maybe that's sometimes where the best discoveries are. We all know that AI is dependent on the quality and the completeness of the data. So we stepped back and said, you know, once we've trained the model, why not just show sales VPs right from the get-go what is their completeness of their data and are even they ready for AI? Just make that as the first little milestone because people wrap mm-hmm. stories for years. It does, I don't think you can find a senior VP in sales anywhere in the world. If you ask them this question and saying, how strong is your sale, your CRM adoption? They'll always start whining. You know, I, I, I mean, like, this has been going on for like 30 years now, right? So, you know, but when you give them the facts, what percentage is good and is it Charlie or Sally and they can drill down and see, then they get, then it gives them something that they can, you know, set some guideposts around which salespeople are good at. Tell me where I'm at, what percentage, and I'll move the bar. Yeah, sure. And so when we release that visualization, that's when we've started to actually start to grow a little bit faster because it, because everybody, even though you put the statistical patterns, they were too lazy to go and check them. But when they just go to one view, data completeness up. Okay. I guess I can trust this. <laughs> yeah, true. So it's a good carrot to have. Yeah. So that's been kind of a, 
you know, something that's so maybe intuitively obvious, but just making it visibly obvious, you know, that takes time, right, to think that through, right? So Yeah, that's true. So talking about, you know, building a remarkable product, what do you believe are, are the things that you put in that, that help you to, well, to create your, uh, your momentum, your, your tipping point? Well, I don't think we're yet at the tipping point. I still think we've just released the account scoring enablement okay. integrated with the activity utilization and the correlations there. And But to me, the, the bigger tipping point where I want to go to eventually, we're not there yet. I know that if we had more engineers and more funding, I could press a button and I could see immediately the heartbeat color or persona of every person and every customer and whether we're a perfect fit human uh -huh. to human. And I know how to solve the problem because I know the intelligence and where the different attributions are. And I've yet to see a company do that. I think people are working on it. I think IBM's done some of it, but what's happened is that they've got so many niche solutions, but as a sales executive, the most important thing is the person or even if it's an advisor and a chatbot advisor, is the linguistic discourse going to be a perfect fit for that persona? Yeah. And that to me is really, you know, where I'd love to take the company. And I think we're well on our way. And I'm just sharing that vision because it may help inspire others. And it's all just about good technical engineers, good vision, product development, and a whack of funding, and we can get there. When I look at some of the interfaces that have been, are in the market for guided sales selling, there's still too much stuff and too complicated. We have one philosophy here, which I think you'll giggle at, because we need other data sets, right? We're not trying to replace CRM. We're trying to wrap our arms around the data, right? Yeah, sure. But there's never any more than three keystrokes you'll ever have to do when you install our software, ever. And, it's, and to me, I think that holds true even for the other use case. The data is there. It's the sense making and the elegance around that. It's like almost being an interior design decorator, right? There's the foundation and you get to decide, you know, how to display things. But um, yeah, it'd be great. I'd love you to see the product in action, but that's kind of, a, you know, a sky hook of, you know, where I'd like to see us go. We've done a, a major patent filing. We're still in the examination stage in the U.S. We only filed in the U.S., but it is a very comprehensive, you know, sort of guided sales in, you know, insight enablement, you know, process patent. Nice. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see it. Yeah. So from, from where you are right now, what, what has been the toughest decision that you had to make around your products? For, well, I mean, I've repeated that, that question from Steve Jobs a number of times. Innovation is not about what you say yes to, but it's typically what you say no to. Has there been any, of, any examples of that? I think you're pulled every day when you are an emerging <laughs> company into tangential areas that are, have no relevance to your, your longer-term vision. So I think always the challenge is staying focused. And uh, that's, an, you know, that's a daily challenge because you know, that I, I wouldn't say we've mastered that. I think we're pretty good, but it's, it's a vigilant, you know, thrust that you do need to keep rowing in the right direction, but also you can't be so 
vigilant, that you're not aware of the market dynamics or the edge plays. So I'm always looking around the corners. I think it kind of goes back to our earlier discussion on curiosity, right? I think AI is a discovery mechanism to allow you to be curious, but you need to give yourself the time to pause, reflect, and give people time to think. And and that's always the hardest part, especially in a small business, because you're so focused on speed and agility, right? And you know, so that's why I always love the new year. Everybody's just kind of, you know, open, <laughs> reflective, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, exactly. So how do you encourage that? Or how do you make, make space for that, that people, well, keep the curiosity? Because it's something I believe that everybody in business is, is, is responsible for, not just a few people. Well, it's interesting. I was mentioning before uh, Dr. Uh, Hamilton and, uh, was speaking with her actually yesterday and on her relatively new book on curiosity. And I think there's a couple things you, you have to, and, and I need to really think hard about this when you really knew need to be willing to listen to all the voices. Right. And I think that sometimes as leaders, when we've had so many different experiences, we often uh, like to leap to just get on with it. We kind of already, we already know the answer, right? We're already there and we're likely, you know, right, oftentimes more right than wrong, but not everybody else, they need the discovery to learn, right? And uh, so, you know, I think, you know, to cultivate that, I think it's something that, you know, I might even just add another core value, but innovation is a core value, but I think the curiosity piece is probably harnesses the listening, also embraces we're really good at diversity here. We've got lots of different people, different cultures, yeah. different backgrounds, and, you know, very sensitive to that reality. But, you know, appreciating time and time standing still. And that's, I think, something in, in North America as leaders we're not very good at. And uh, I just came back from a trip in South Korea and in Japan and, you know, I always, you know, you just see and sense, they, they seem to be pausing a little bit more. And they respect the elders so much and sort of the wisdom of multiple generations of their history. And I, I, I see us often rushing so fast and furious around the North American markets that I, I, I do think that we, we lose some of the wisdom, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, I'd welcome your thoughts on it to be pretty candid, Tone. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's a topic in itself. But I mean, in, in, in respect of time, I, I want to kind of, kind of ask a couple of other questions still. So from, from, the, from putting the product to market and the, kind of having a product that is so new, what did you learn in the sales process? I mean, did you experience any skepticism? Uh, is this something for innovators or is it something that is broad, broadly... Uh, well, it's, it's, it's picked up in a broader sense. We're definitely not at the broader sense. You know, we've been fortunate. A lot of the top analysts, you know, Forrester, Gartner, yeah. you know, are starting to follow us. What I see is that the early, it's always the early adopters still, right? Sure. We're in an emerging space. So our buyer profile are typically chief revenue officers that are kind of evangelistic. They pride themselves yeah. in experimentation. They have a little bit of edge budget. Right. And it's those individuals that that we have all as clients. There is no Luddite buyer profile yet in our, you know, or someone that's highly conservative. 
these are all change agent types. True. They see that AI has to be, it has to be part of their leadership uh, persona for their future jobs. They more often than not are stronger in analytics. They've been working with their various analytical tools. So they value, you know, facts and reporting, but uh, they are, you know, so they're, they're more edgy. I keep, you know, I find that when we have our conversations with folks that are much more conservative or traditional, we don't get the next step. It's not the right time. They're more inwardly focused. They're still believing that they're not ready, even though they have the data volume, they just have this reticence. They don't want to be the first, right? They don't want to be the second. Yeah, Uh, and I don't understand that. I hear that a lot, by the way. But I mean, if if you look at your website and you see quotes that we made, we made 107% target, you know? No, no, uh, we went 107% over target. It's almost like you can't afford not to look at it. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting. We think it's a no-brainer and we taglines. And what we did four months ago, we made a decision, you know what, we're going to even make this easier. 30-day total satisfaction guarantee and five minutes to plug in and we can guarantee you. And and so that's, we're going to see what happens with that messaging. I think, I think deep down, I think one of the issues is I do think there's still a big fear of job loss. And I think the other thing we've picked up is salespeople really believe they have their act together in their forecasting. That's what's on one of their pride jewels. Like that's why I'm there. I, you know, I drill my team. They've got their rituals and they, you know what it's like. You've been in yeah, these yeah. companies. It will reveal that they're not got their act together. Ex- exactly. And that's unfortunately, we, they don't have to spend all their time drilling in these useless management review process. They just press a button and, exactly. you know, yeah. and they can go spend time with what's important, which is the real customers and more coaching. And they don't need to spend all the time with all these fricking spreadsheets and, you know, and, you know, cause you just press a button exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. and the calculations are done, but you know, it takes, it takes time for people to change. And yeah. so I guess, we're in the same situation we were probably with any other major technological change. It's a, na- it's a natural life cycle, right? The early adopters and more pervasiveness, more education, you know? So, yeah, it's, I, I, I sometimes wonder, like you said, why, how can you not just get on with it? And uh, I, if you, if you figure out the secret sauce, I'd love to know. I think everybody would, but yeah, this is an early adopter. Uh, our chairman, Dr. Kevin Francis, the head of the former CEO of Xerox Canada, and a few other large companies in the states, uh, he says that we're still in you know that kind of um, missionary sales mode, yeah. and that you know we need channels like you have to get the word out. Stories. I just joined the Forbes business school of technology and you know we'll have a chance then to speak to ceos in the u.s at their forbes major conference in the fall maybe it's something we could get you down for but you know just to get the word out more because ceos can move you know they all whine about the accuracy of their forecasts yeah and they basically can just press a button themselves i think i think part of it is New leaders need to recognize and CFOs, you don't need to wait for the sales VP to get his act together, her act, you know, the software is right there. You know, everybody can have access to, you know, a simulation. 
So True. yeah, exactly. yeah. So what would you advise CEOs to do? How should they, what is the first step to start thinking different? Well, I think the first thing to start thinking different, I think they do need to have an educational course on what is AI, be able to understand that there is not one uniform definition of AI acceptable True. in the world. So, you know, they do need to educate themselves that even if they recruit some resources that are experts in data science or AI, they always have to have a vigilant eye that there are so many different approaches to solve a problem that they probably need third party as well to sort of provide feedback before they start building or acquiring. I think that that curiosity, look around the edges is real important. I've seen many clients over the years go down the wrong rabbit holes. I shouldn't say our clients, but other companies' clients where, you know, they thought they were, they should be using a regression analytics approach and honestly they should have been using a different method deeper machine learning method and you know it's not that you can't apply another algorithm to another data set and solve it differently it's just that it, you know you could spend a lot of time if you aren't really clear on the problem and what the best type of algo to suit that problem and so I think you know CEOs really do need to get into the the details they need to have a trusted advisor, I mean, a trusted leader on their team as well, but also to recognize that that individual is going to need additional support. It's just, just too big of a field True. Uh, yeah. to put your, I think the whole leadership team needs to be more engaged and intelligent. If you look at, maybe here's the stretch. If we look at profit and loss, Every senior executive in the leadership team would understand the importance of profitability and <laughs> expenses and losses and hopefully know how to do an ROI calculation, right? You'd think that would be the case. So if AI is as transformative as, as I think you and I believe, then why wouldn't every single C-level in the C-suite understand what's possible? It's just like we've also, I think, stretched people's thinking to understand what's possible with you know, digital and social, yeah. right? And so yeah. we have all of our beautiful young people. They're not going to question the value of a social media channel and that has audience volume as maybe being a way to connect the dots. Yeah. So I think the same thing's going to happen with AI, that it'll be a rich conversation across the leadership team. And people will talk about when they're solving problems, where is the data? What's the health of it? Are, is there any risk in the data? Is it a bias? How complete is it? I think CEOs, probably the best thing I could offer for advice is make sure you have one of your core values around data, data, like it's data, data mm -hmm. is the, is the, you know, it's the fuel. And, you know, we've talked so much about information and obviously data is the enabler for information. I get all that, but, you know, in terms of CEOs having tight KPI scorecards on where is the data, the health of their data, and boards holding them accountable? I mean, I, I think, you know, when was the last time the Fortune 500 companies had a deep conversation of the data as a KPI and, you know, do they have 10 KPIs on data as a risk, you know? I don't it's think so. These, so, you know, so we, we kind of do all these deep regulatory things, but we don't really have a deep discussion or can they pull out – Here's the question I think is quite funny is, can you as a CEO, you know, give me a list now, if you're Fortune 500, where your algos are mm -hmm. and what's the risk of those algos? And, and 
who programmed them? <laughs> like, yeah. can you produce like now, like immediately? I, you know, I, so I, I know the auditors are going to have lots of fun, you know, starting to ask some of these questions, right? And building a whole consulting practice, right? On uh, algo risk. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a fun topic. Uh, first, learning is learning, 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 and you'll never stop learning. I agree. So what are you most proud of that you've achieved so far? Anecdotes uh, with one of your customers or in general? Uh, achieved so far. You know, we, we so often don't pause and think about this. Hmm. I think probably the, uh, last year uh, our team applied for the AI Disruptive Award. We didn't think we'd win what we won. So I'm very okay. proud of that. In Canada, you know, that for us is helping us propel forward because there were many other competitors that were there that are, were extremely worthy and extremely well venture-backed. I mean, we're privately held, right? We're, we're the little one that's, you know, making it happen, but really, you know, as, as shareholders, you know, really, you know, working extra hard, I would say. But with that recognition, the reason the judges awarded it to us was because of our transparent AI position. Yeah. So I think I'm most proud of that, where others, even the VCs, you know, they sometimes rally around, but I do think a lot of the AI players are going to get caught hard with black box. And, it, you know, and, and I, and so I think that's the most, I think, I, I think we've missed one of the swords. Nice. Yeah. I can imagine. If there's anything the, the audience can do to help you, what would be your ask? Oh, that's an easy one. Please go to www.saleschoice.com <laughs> and request a demo Come and learn. Uh, let us show you the software. And, you know, basically it can be installed in five minutes. You just need to be using Salesforce.com or NetSuite. That's, you know, we've got an open API, but those are the two platforms that we have that are well tested and proved upon. But yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. Come visit us. Uh, we have a lot of learning material too on our website on research papers. So, you know, we're all about open uh, sharing and just helping make our world a better place. I agree. Well, then, then the, well, the, the next question was, where can they go to find, about, find out more about your company and, and how to say, how to connect with you? So let's, let's leave that for the, letter, the last part on it. How can they connect with you and say hi? Uh, pretty easy. Cindy at saleschoice.com. And, you know, just reach out and uh, you can easily access me uh, through uh, LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, that's what I did. That's exactly how we connect. I can attest, I can attest to that. So Cindy, thank you very much for your deep insights and uh, passion for transforming how sales sell. Well, thank you, Tone. I've really appreciated the, the conversation and uh, thank you for the time. I think we found a new friend with you. <laughs> thank you very much. I agree with that. And the pleasure was fully mine. And for everybody else, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Cindy Gordon, co-founder and CEO of SalesChoice. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions 
that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.